Um, my name is Kelsey Shepherdson. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm going to be sharing the word with you tonight. I'm really excited about it. I am pre preaching from Ecclesiastes tonight, which if you've ever read that book of the Bible is kind of a doozy. And so if you're getting scared because you think this is going to be a really depressing message, it's not. This is actually going to be really encouraging. And I think uh, when you leave tonight, you'll you'll be very happy that we studied in Ecclesiastes tonight. Um, we have been in a series called uh, God in the Chaos. God in the Chaos, which has been so fitting for the season that we find ourselves in right now. We're in a crazy, crazy time in our world, in our country, um, in a lot of our personal lives as well. And so uh, I think it's so fitting that we're talking about this, and it's been a really neat series. We've just been talking about how God meets us even in the midst of the chaos and ministers to us and how he doesn't want for us a life of fear and strife and struggle, but a life of joy and peace in the Holy Spirit. And so that's been so awesome um, seeking that out together. Um, but tonight we kind of, some of you um, might be thinking about like, how do I move past some of these big things that are struggles that are happening right now. Uh, and, oh no, so my notes are not here, so I'm going to be winging it from memory. So uh, you'll just have to bear with us here. We had, it's, yeah, it's going to be good. <laughs> it's going to be good. It's okay. Um, so, that, you know what's funny about that is I've had, I had this sense, I was praying a couple weeks ago about preaching, and I felt like the Lord said, something about like, you know, you should get to a point where you're comfortable with preaching without notes. And so I guess you just pushed me off the edge there. So that's fun. Um, God will do that sometimes. So um, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3, I believe it is. Yeah. Yes, there we go. That's great. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to be in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 3. Uh, and we are going to be on, starting on verse 9, but we'll get there in just a minute. Go ahead and get there in your Bible or in your Bible app, and we'll get there in just a minute. Um, but the book of Ecclesiastes, I need to give a little bit of background information on this book before we get started, because it's, it's a kind of a weird book to have in the Bible. Uh, when I was, actually, Ike was reminding me this week that when I was, when we were first married and he was a youth pastor, he was going to preach from Ecclesiastes to our youth group. And I told him, why would you ever do that? That is a terrible idea. That book is the worst. And I just thought, no one should ever preach from that book. I don't even know why that's in the Bible. Um, because it has this phrase that's repeated throughout the book that says, life is meaningless. And it says this over and over and over. And I just always would read it and think, why in the world is this in the Bible? That doesn't seem like a very heart of God type of thing. That doesn't seem like something that, that the Christian message entails is this idea of life being meaningless. 
And the thing is, is that when I started to study the actual book of Ecclesiastes and, and what it means and what's happening there, I, I had a totally different view of what this book is trying to do. So just a little background on it. The book of Ecclesiastes is, it's a wisdom, it's a book of wisdom literature. So in the Bible, we have, um, we have Proverbs, we have Ecclesiastes, and these are two major wisdom literature books. And Ecclesiastes is unique because it's, talk, it's talking about two, it has two different characters who are speaking between the two of them. So you have the author of the book, you have the speaker, and then you have someone called the critic. There's this second person called the critic. And the critic is, is this sort of, this wise but also cynical, older, wise voice in the book. And the person, the speaker of the book, is allowing the, the critic to speak to you. So the, the author of the book, the, sorry, not the speaker, the author is starting out the book and they're introducing you to the critic. And then at the end, the author comes around and describes to you what you should get out of what the critic just taught to you. So there's two, two voices in the book. So that's really important to understand. And the critic is really, like I said, he's cynical. He's a little bit down on the idea of human life in general and also down on the human condition and just the state that we find ourselves. And I think when we look at the world around us, we can identify with that, at least to some extent. We can identify with the fact that there are some things that are really wrong with this world and really wrong with us. Things aren't great. And so, so there's a lot here that we can connect with. Um, but it's also pretty dark. But I want to tell you, I'm going to share some, some kind of dark things, and then we're going to get into the hopeful part. So please bear with me. But there's these three, three ideas that the critic brings up when talking about this chaos of life, this chaotic nature of, of, of life and human nature that we're, we're looking at and we're exploring over these last few weeks. He talks about three things. He talks about the march of time, that there's this dark fact of life that we call the march of time. And what he means by that is there are so many people that have lived for thousands and thousands of years the earth has been around for so long, it's going to keep going on after we're gone, and time just keeps marching on. And we as human beings, we are just this little tiny blip. We're this little tiny blip in eternity. And that can feel awful. That can feel daunting. That can feel depressing. That idea of how obsolete we are in the universe, how small we are, and that we never really can have enough time. And that no matter how good of a life we live, um, how, how well we make an impact, even if we end up famous and rich and we do all these great things, even if we do that, we're still going to get several hundred years down the road and nobody's going to know who we are. Even the most famous people are forgotten after their culture goes by the wayside. And so he said that this is a depressing fact of life. It's the fact that there is this march of time that we just simply do not have any control over. The second, the second dark fact that he comes upon is the fact that we all are going to die. He says, you know what? No matter what you do, whether it's good, whether it's bad, any way that you live your life, you are eventually going to die. And so this is the second sad fact of life, that 
no matter what we do, no matter if we're good, if we're evil, it doesn't matter. We all, like he says, like the animals, we all die. Life is meaningless. And this, we'll get back to that meaningless word in just a minute. But that's his second hard fact of life. The third hard fact of life that the critic brings up is the fact that, uh, sorry, no notes. I got to give it, give it just a minute. Oh, yeah. The third fact of life is chance. The fact that we can't control anything about life. So we can do what's right. We can go to school. We can get an education. We can work hard. We can make all the right choices, but there's still this awful thing in life called chance, which means that you can eat all the right food and exercise and do all that and still die of cancer when you're 40. Or you can work so hard to get this career and you, you put in all the hours and all the time and then a pandemic hits and you lose your job and your life savings. These are things that we can't control. There's this ugly thing in life called chance and it gets the best of all of us at one point or another. And so the critic, he talks about these three sad things, these three themes that about life that are just so hard, and he comes to this conclusion. He says, life is meaningless. And when you do a little bit of study, he's not actually saying that life is meaningless, and so it's okay, we can leave the book in the Bible. I won't, make, I won't take it out. Um, but what he's saying, he's using a word that's in Hebrew is hevel. It's H-E-V-E-L. He's saying life is hevel. And what that translates to is vapor that life is vapor. So life has this vapor-like, uh, evasive quality to it that just when you think you've got it figured out, just when you think, oh, I'm set, I'm made in the shade, it's like you're grasping at vapor and it just goes right through your fingers and it's gone. This, there's something about life. It's, it's mysterious and it's also beautiful. And he's, he's, that word entails that, that there's something beautiful about life, that it's, it's beautiful, it's mysterious, it's vapor-like, it evades your grasp. You can't quite pin it down. It's not always clear what its meaning is. So he's not saying it's meaningless, but rather that its meaning is sometimes obscured. Sometimes it's difficult to know what the meaning is. Sometimes it's difficult to see why things are going the way that they're going. But he still concludes this. The critic still says, even so, even so, we should fear God. We should obey his commands. And not only that, but, but we should also enjoy life. And that's the main thrust of this message tonight, is that God's will for us in the midst of chaos, God's will for us in the midst of struggle and strife, is that we would thrive. God's will is that we would thrive despite the chaos of life, despite the chaos that surrounds us, despite these sad truths, these sad facts of life, God still wants us to thrive. And that's amazing. That's amazing that God wants us to thrive in the midst of those horrible facts. And not only that, he wants us to thrive, but he actually has made a way. He's made a plan so that we can thrive, so that we can have that kind of abundant life as if those things weren't even true. And that's what's so amazing about God and so amazing about his plan. So we're going to get into the text now. We're going to be on, um, we're in chapter 3, like I said, we're going to start at verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? 
I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart, yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is the gift of God. I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. So in this verse, first verse here, verse 9, he says, Why do workers, or what, sorry, what do workers gain from their toil? I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. So here he's talking about the fact that our work is hevel, that there's a certain level of chaos that we find in our work. So we work so hard, we work our whole lives, and sometimes it feels like no matter how hard we work, it's never enough, right? There's some people who work so hard their whole lives and they stay in poverty. And there's nothing, they never get out. And then there's other people who work and they amass riches and they have all these things, but they're not satisfied. Those riches, those things that they have, that they're not satisfying to them. And then he says that, he talks about later in the book, that even the people who have those things, even the people who not only do they have money, but they're able to enjoy their wealth, that then they die and their wealth goes to somebody who didn't work for it. And so he's acknowledging that there's this certain emptiness, there's this certain chaos, this certain hevel, this vapor-like quality to our work. And then in verse 11, we get a surprising change in tone. He says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in the human heart. And so this, this has been, if you've read Ecclesiastes, it's been three chapters of the most depressing stuff you have ever read. And then all of a sudden this verse, and it's very surprising. If, you're reading, if you read it straight through, it's a very shocking turn of events that all of a sudden he says this beautiful thing. He has made everything beautiful in its time. This is supposed to be shocking. He's... he's changing gears, and this should make us pay attention. So what, what he's saying here is he's saying, here's the thing, is that there's all this hevel, there's all this vapor, there's all this stuff about life that's hard to understand and that's so, so difficult, but the thing is, is that God makes life so beautiful. And that's something we all know, we all feel that in our heart, that even though life is hevel, it's also so worth living. We have family and we have love and we have friendship and we have music and art and laughter. We have so many things that are so beautiful. And that's because God is a gracious and good father. He gives us good gifts and he makes everything beautiful in its time, even the difficulties, even the strife, even the strain, all those things God makes beautiful in his time. And that's another word of this book is that, that the writer of the book, the, the author of the book, is trying to get us to see that even in all of this stuff, that God is good and God is supreme and God is in control. In that second part of that verse, he says he's also set eternity in the human heart. 
So this is another amazing thing about life and how God set it up, is that although we live on this mortal coil, we're all going to die, there's a lot of hard stuff, we have in our heart a taste and a hunger for eternity. And that's something that God put there. I don't know if that's ever crossed your mind of why, if we're going to die, do we have this longing to live forever? Well, it's because God planted that like a seed in our hearts when he created us. Because God never planned on us being dead. God didn't plan death for us. That wasn't part of his plan. And his plan is that we will live forever with him. And so I think this is a part where naturalism and and atheism just do not have a good explanation for a fact about humanity, which is why in the world do we long for eternity if that's not something that was made for us. And so he, this, this, this cynic, this critic, even though he's so cynical, he recognizes this amazing thing about human nature that God put in us, this desire for eternity, this heart and motivation towards eternity. And that we're going to get, that's Jesus. And we're going to get there in just a minute. We'll talk about Jesus in a minute. Uh, As that verse continues, it says, Yet no one can fathom what God has done from beginning to end. And this is another thing, is that there's a lot, there's a huge note of mystery in this book that he doesn't totally understand why we have that grasp of eternity. Why why do I long for eternity? Why do I have eternity in my heart? Um, And that's because this was written about 250 years before Jesus came on the scene. He doesn't have the full picture yet, but even so, he has this sense that God's faithful and that God has a plan and that he doesn't have to fear because God has set something in his heart like a seed. Verse 12 continues, I know that there is nothing better for people than to be happy and to do good while they live, that each of them may eat and drink and find satisfaction in all their toil. This is a gift of God. So he says, he says there's nothing better than to be happy. That's his one command. Be happy and then do good. And if you read the rest of the book, he really does think that it's that simple. That the key to living the best kind of life is to be happy and to do good. And that's like not something we typically think of. Like be happy. You know, if you see a bumper sticker that says be happy, we don't think of that as a typically like Christian approach to life. But it actually is. It's very biblical. So the idea is, you know, you can't control, going back to that chance thing, we can't control what happens to us in life. He's saying the only thing you can actually control is your attitude towards what happens to you. You can't control what happens to you, but you can control your attitude. Um, I was texting with Kelsey earlier in the week about, she said, how's online school going? And I said, you know, it's going, you know, it's going as good as that can go. And I said, I'm really trying, because I was preparing this message, I said, I'm really trying to control my attitude because that is the only thing that I can control. And that is such a, a true thing about life that we forget sometimes is that we try so hard to control everyone around us and everything around us so that we can be in a perfect little bubble of happiness. And that just never works out. The truth is, is that the only thing we can control is our own attitude. And that's what he's saying here, is that just 
just be happy. And he is saying that it's that easy because being happy is a choice. It's, it's, a, it's a willingness to look at the bright side. It's a willingness to choose joy. It's a willingness to be grateful for where you are and what you have. And so that he's saying it is as simple as that, being happy. And if you read through the scriptures, if you look up words like peace and happiness and joy, almost always they're said as commands. They're not usually described as like a secret recipe for how to be happy or how to have joy. It's like, have peace, be joyful, have hope. It's not, it's not something that God teaches you how to do. It's something that you choose and then he makes it easier as you choose that. And so, so that's what he's saying here is we have to be happy. We have to choose happiness. And then not only that, we need to do good. And we do good because that's what's right. And that's what God has commanded us to do. So we be happy and we do good. And then he also says uh, to each of them, eat and drink and find satisfaction in their toil. And this is another thing I love is he's saying, you know, living well is so much about enjoying what's right in front of you that that life isn't about getting it all perfectly arranged and having everything perfect in the way that you always imagined or dreamed that it would be, that actually true joy and a really well-lived life is when you're just able to enjoy the simple pleasures that are all around you. Eating good food, drinking good drinks, enjoying your labor, enjoying the work, the meaningful work that God's put in your life. And that's where there's a, there's a narrative out there about Christianity that says that, that Christians, you know, that's like a place for people who don't really enjoy things. It's for, it's for uptight people who are really anti-pleasure and anti-fun. And that is just not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that we have actually a deeper, a deeper understanding of what earthly pleasures are and of what is truly good because it's based in the fact that God created those things for us to enjoy. And so there's something so special here. What he's saying is that that. God gave you all those little things in your life for you to enjoy, and you should. You should absolutely do that. You should go out of your way to do that. We, um, Ike and I, last night, we did something that with our friends. We have a, a few friends from our old church. We don't get to see a ton. We get to see them a couple times a year. And uh, last night, we have a tradition. Once a year, we do something called Gourmet Night. And we like to just make the fanciest, most fun dinner. We make, we set an amazing, beautiful table. Uh, everyone takes one part of the meal and makes, we have a theme. Well, last night was Mediterranean and we just made amazing food. We made, uh, Ike made paella. He made paella out on like an open flame in our backyard. It was so fun. And the thing is, is that things like that, that doing things like that, you know, there's, there's like a judgmental voice out there that's not from the Lord that says like, oh, you know, that's not necessary. That's, that's wasteful. That's not worship. And the thing is, is that enjoying God's creation and our friends in that way is worship. And that is what God wants us to do. And that is how God wants us to live. God wants us to enjoy the life he's given. And he even says, this is the gift of God. These little things, that enjoyment of those little things, that that is a gift from the Lord. Um, verse 14, he says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. 
So what he's saying here is that we don't have to be afraid. We don't have to, to live our lives being under the burden of these three hard facts of life, even though there are these sad things about life, chance and death and the march of time. These things are sad, but we don't have to live under that because the thing is, is that what God has said and what God has done will endure forever. The word of God will endure forever. And that God has done this. God has allowed things to progress as they have. He's made life beautiful. He's given us these good gifts because he wants us to see that he is the one eternal thing and to praise him for it, that we would look at him. And when it says fear him, that means that we would acknowledge him, that we would respect him, that we would see that there's someone's hand that this all is coming from, that there's someone who's in control beyond us, that even though we have no control over our lives, that he does, and that we can trust him with that, that we can look to him and be saved. And that's what's so awesome is that in the end of this book, so I'll just go for a minute back to the author of the book. So this is the critic still. But at the end of the book, the author, he says, here's the conclusion. Here's what I've come to from all of this that the critic said. So he says, fear the Lord and obey his commandments. And he's saying, and he, and he continues to say, you know, because God is going to take care of you. It's because God's going to take care of you. You don't have to be afraid. And what's so cool is that this person, this writer, they didn't even know the full story. This was, like I said, 250 years before Jesus. They knew God had a plan. They knew God had a plan and that there's a purpose in life, that there's meaning, but they didn't know the full story. And yet they still trusted God. And how much more blessed are we to be in a position where we know the story. We know that God sent Jesus to, to make right all those sad facts of life, Jesus was the one who came to do that. Jesus made it so that the march of time isn't so scary anymore because the, the march of time is marching toward when Jesus will come back and establish his kingdom on earth and he will do away with forever sin and death and sadness and mourning. The march of time has now been turned into a positive thing through the coming of Jesus. Secondly, death. Jesus has done away with death. And when he comes back, he's going to do away with death forever. So not only do we not have to fear death because we know we have eternity with Christ, but we also know that at one point, death is going to be destroyed forever. And then thirdly, chance. With chance, the thing is, is that we still are subject to chance as believers, but we know that we have a God who walks with us through everything, that he walks with us in our suffering, that he walks with us in our pain, that he walks with us in our joy, that he's always there. He's this constant companion and friend. And so chance doesn't have to be the scary thing that it used to be. So Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes all of those, those three sad facts of life. They're actually not that sad anymore because of Christ. And so this is such an amazing book to read when you see it in light of the gospel, when you see it in light of what Jesus has done. And so I'm going to give a moment in just a minute for anyone who wants to accept Christ and his forgiveness and have that sense of hope, that sense of hope in the midst of these, this chaos of life, these hard facts of life. If you say, you know, I want to have that 
sense of peace, that sense of joy that those in, in the Jesus Storybook Bible that Kels is reading over, they always say the sad things coming untrue. And that's what Jesus did. He made the sad things come untrue. And so if that's you and you want to do that, we're going to pray for that in a minute. But I just have a couple things of just application for this. So how, how do we be people? God, it's, we, we talked about at the beginning that it's God's will for us to be people who overcome the chaos by trusting him and by, by having joy and thriving in the midst of this. And so we've been talking about that, but just some practical things for how we do that. The first one, I think, is we learn to trust. We learn to trust God with our life. And that is a process. And it is something that we spend, we'll spend our whole mortal life learning because it's hard to trust. It's hard to trust because we have things we want and we have the way we want things to go. But every difficulty in our lives, every struggle, everything that doesn't go the way we want it to go, that is another chance to learn trust. That is another chance to say, okay, God, I'm trusting you. Okay, God, help me through this. Help me to see this from your perspective. And so much of trusting God just comes down to a choice, like we were talking about with choosing happiness before. The second thing we can do is we want to Show, we want to show gratitude. We want to have grateful hearts. Um, gratitude is so important. It's something that, that helps put our focus on what matters and helps get our minds off of kind of that dark stuff and onto like the joy that God has set before us in our lives. So showing gratitude. One thing that I've done in my life is when I'm having struggles, when I'm going through a hard time, I like to keep a gratitude journal and just write throughout my day, write down every single thing that I'm thankful for. Little things, like going, little things, big things, anything in between, just reminding myself of why, how God is good because that, that helps us to trust him. If we show gratitude, it helps us to trust him because we remember that God has been faithful and will continue to be faithful. Um, I'm blanking on my last couple ones, guys. I'm running out of, <laughs> I'm running out of my notes here. Uh, let's see, what was my last one? I don't know. Those were pretty good, though. So you guys, you're, were those good? Pretty good. Okay, we're good. But thanks. Thank you, Oliver. That was good. <laughs> those are good. Um, so those are those are two things. If I think of the other ones, I'll let you know. Um, but the, this is something that we have the opportunity right now to practice so much. I mean, nothing is going the way that we thought it was going to go. And so what a chance, what an opportunity to learn trust, to learn, God, you're good, God, I trust you with my life. And to rest, because the thing is, is with trust is that when you trust, then you get to rest because you're not striving to make things happen for yourself. You're not, you're not living under a law of, oh, if I could just be perfect enough, if I could just get it right, then things would be better. No, you don't have to live that way. It's, it's a relinquishment to God of if you want that for me, God, then let it be. And if you don't, then give me peace. Give me peace about it. Help me to be okay. Uh, and, and thankfulness, it opens your heart up to, to not only trust God, but also to then enjoy the blessings that are all around you. That was my third one. My third one was pray, pray. And this was, oh yeah, this is a whole part I skipped, but I'll just go back to it real quick. Um, pray that God would help you to enjoy the things that you have. Pray that God would help you to enjoy the good things that are already in your life. That was something that 
God really spoke to me as I was, as I was um, preparing this week was that so often I spend the majority of my prayer energy praying for things that I need or that I want. And there's nothing wrong with that. We should all do that. We should bring our desires, our needs to the Lord. But in, the, in this book, what he talks about is he says, here's the thing is that a lot of people, they get everything they ever wanted and it's still not enough. It still does not satisfy them. And he says, you know what? It's actually a gift from God to be able to enjoy what you have. It's not something that everybody has. Not everyone has the ability to enjoy what they have. And so that just struck me like a bolt of lightning that, wow, I need to be a person who asks for the ability to enjoy my blessings more than I ask for blessings. And so that would be the third one. Ask God to give you the ability to enjoy the blessings that he has given you because that's a gift from God. So let's pray. We're going to pray and I'm just going to lead through uh, a prayer of, ex- of accepting Christ. If that's you, if you're on the p- listening on Facebook or on the podcast and that's you, I'm going to lead you through a prayer and then I'll pray for the rest of you. Just a blessing as we go. Well, dear God, we just come to you and thank you for uh, helping to me to mostly remember my sermon, even though I didn't have notes. Um, thank you, Lord, for your wisdom. Thank you for the joy that you fill our lives with, God, that even though we have so many struggles in this life, things don't go the way that we want them to go. But Lord, you are sovereign and you are good and you make everything beautiful in its time and that you have also set eternity in our hearts. And Lord, I just, I pray for those right now who are listening and thinking, I know I need that hope of Jesus. I need that hope of eternity. I need that security when everything else around me is shaking. I need to know that I have something to hold on to. I pray for those people, Lord. I pray that right now they would open their hearts to you, that you would help them to say, yes, Jesus, be my savior. And if that's you, just pray that right now. Say, yes, Jesus, come in and be my savior. Be my Lord. Deliver me from these sad facts of life. Help me to to see these from your perspective in the light of your sacrifice, in the light of your cross and your resurrection, that I would not have to live under the heaviness of these things anymore, but that I would uh, be full of hope and joy and peace as I put my trust in you. And if that was you, if that was you who said that prayer for the first time, um, Email us, email us, reach out, uh, tell a friend that you know who knows the Lord, and and we want to talk to you. But I want to pray a blessing over everyone else also. God, I just, I pray for each one here and each one who's listening. Um, God, would you just give us the supernatural ability this week to enjoy the blessings of this life that you have given? God, you've blessed us all in so many wonderful and different ways, and God, You do not have for us to just always be consumed with comparison, to be consumed with it's never enough, I don't have this, I don't have that. God, that's not your will for us. Your will is that we would be joyful, that we would be full of thankfulness, that we would be able to truly enjoy the things that you have put in our lives. God, help us to see those simple pleasures and to embrace them and to make the most of them, to make the most of all the good gifts that you have given Lord, help us to be thankful. 
Lord, help us to trust you, Lord, with all the chaos that we're facing right now. Help us to trust you. And God, help us to choose happiness. Help us to choose the right kind of attitude each and every day. Give us strength when we're weary, God. Give us strength when we're faint. Lord, we need you. And I just, I pray for each one. Would you bless them this week, God? Would you just pour over them all the blessings, all the goodness, all the things that you have for them, Lord? And would you draw us near to you and let us sense your presence as we walk in these healthy habits this week, Lord? Let us sense your presence as we, as we try to obey these, these pieces of wisdom that are laid out for us in your word. In Jesus' name, amen.